How's a gunner's mate in the Tonkin Gulf? No matter where you served. Combat medic, Afghanistan. Or when. See what VA can do for you. To learn what benefits you may be eligible for, visit www.va.gov. Ladies and gentlemen, I am Timothy Lawson, your host for This Week at VA. This week's podcast is mostly focused on adaptive sports. First, we'll hear from members of the USA Paralympic team about why they want you to try adaptive sports. Then we'll hear from a Paralympic gold medalist, Brad Snyder. And finally, we'll direct you to our resource for adaptive sports and honor our veteran of the day. At the end of September, our digital media team attended the Team USA Awards at Georgetown University. We caught up with several Paralympians, including Elizabeth Marks, Carrie Miller, Josh Brunas, and Brad Snyder. We asked them what they would like to say to someone that hasn't tried adaptive sports yet, and here's what they had to say. Adaptive sports has helped to save my life. Uh, during recovery, I didn't really have a path to go down. I'm a combat medic, and I didn't know what was next, so I found the pool, and the pool ended up saving my life and that it gave me a new avenue and another way to serve soldiers and to continue my service so uh, it's changed it dramatically in a lot of wonderful ways now I can share my passion with other veterans and bring them down the same path and we're trying to grow the veteran community in the Paralympics. After my accident I didn't know where I wanted to go or what was going to happen to me but you know being able to get out and get out in the world and because when I got hurt I was embarrassed you know I didn't have legs and I thought people were looking at me and it was uncomfortable but to be able to get out and play and with other people and make you feel normal not just normal but good at something and then to go ahead and transition to be very good at something you know it's, it's amazing. I'll give it a shot it'll honestly they might look at it and it might be maybe funky at first or something but they'll really enjoy it and and that that competitiveness that they have within themselves it'll come out when they play they might not know it yet but when they get involved with this sport it'll definitely come out um so just from the, on the outset I, I had my own hang-ups like i thought what what is swimming gonna do for my career you know and the my my uh what i would my advice to veterans would be just give it a try because I guarantee you once you get up on a hand cycle or you get out on the ski slopes or you dive into the pool you're gonna feel this magic you're gonna feel the power of sports and I think it's gonna be very helpful to all of those struggling with PTS a major traumatic injury a traumatic brain injury despondency from a divorce like all the struggles that afflict our veteran population I think sports has a powerful way of of helping us cope with those things it doesn't make them go away we still have the same problems but but sports helps us cope with it in a very meaningful way. So give it a try. Um, the VA has access to the Paralympic Sport Program through the Par Paralympic Military Program. You know about all those different things. I don't have to give access. Check out TeamUSA.org. Uh, check out Gateway to Gold. There's a lot of different resources out there. The veterans need to be the one to take the first step and give it a try. Today's interview is with the last voice from that audio clip, Navy veteran Brad Snyder. Brad is a Paralympic gold medalist in swimming. As a blind veteran, Brad used adaptive sports to get back into the competitive arena. Brad talks to us about his experience being blind, the value of adaptive sports, and being a top-performing athlete. Brad and I experienced some software and recording issues, and there was a segment that I wasn't able to include in the full interview. The disruptive audio 
broke the flow. But I did manage to pull a clip from a answer that Brad gave from the ruined audio that still sounds up to par. I'm going to start with this clip because it is a really interesting insight into Brad's thoughts on being a disabled veteran that has been thrusted sort of into uh, the public space as a public speaker. As this clip starts, he is explaining how he doesn't feel like he really even deserves the recognition because to him, he didn't do his job properly, which is why he got injured. And that's where this clip begins. And he goes into talking about um, being a person delivering a message to the public through speaking, etc. I was trained to do correctly, I never would have gotten hurt. And I never would have been in this position. I never would have been hurt. I never would have been in the hospital. I never would have been in front of these crowds. Like my friends, who are either still active duty or or not, you know, they don't get the same hero worship that I do. And for a while, that really bothered me. I was like, look, the guys who did it right, you know, they don't get any of the thanks that I do. And that seems messed up. Um, so that was the beginning. But then I kind of saw I have the ability, you know, based on my background, based on my experiences, based on everything I've done in the Paralympics now, I have a platform to speak from and a speaker and a microphone and people who are going to listen to me. You know what I mean? And so I, I, I felt it was incumbent upon me to share a message that was worth sharing. And I share that message of it's not necessarily my story. It's our story. It's the story of, of all of us making that decision to serve, going to a foreign land that's dangerous to battle the, the, the opposers or the antagonists to freedom and liberty and the way of our way of life. Um, it's our story, I tell. It's my flavor. You know, it's through my eyes. It's my personal experiences. But it's much, in my mind, bigger than that. And I can see the impact that that has on people. And I think that that's important. So, uh, you know, I never at any point in my life I, or uh, at any point in my speaking, you know, I did I did make a deliberate choice to do what I'm doing. And I embrace it. And I try to do it on the largest scale possible. And, yeah, I make a living doing it. But my main motivation is to share our story in a way that provides perspective and a, a positive effect or impact on our community. So now that you've learned a little bit about Brad's mindset and thoughts from that clip, uh, here's my interview with Navy veteran Brad Snyder. Enjoy. Okay, with me this week on This Week at VA, I have Navy veteran Brad Snyder. Sir, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. So you and I uh, originally met at the Team USA Awards where you won for Best Paralympic Athlete, uh, uh, Best Male Paralympic Athlete. Congratulations on that, sir. Thank you so much. What a fun night that was down in D.C., especially in the wake of coming back uh, off the Rio, uh, Rio Games down in uh, South America. Yeah, absolutely. The, you know, you have an inspiring story. Your, um, your involvement in adaptive sports is, uh, is fascinating. Uh, but let's go back to your decision to join the military, right? Cause that's what myself and so much, so much of my audience have in common with you is our decision to serve. Take us back to that decision to join the Navy. So my decision was not necessarily a very active one. I think it's a resolution I made very young in my life. Um, and then not one I really was even aware of at the time. But when I uh, look back on it, I think a lot of it had to do with uh, hanging out a lot with my grandpa when I was young. And I, I tell this story in, in uh, my speeches sometimes about how, like, when you're uh, when you're young, you don't you don't really know anything about legacy or what honor means or what courage means or what commitment means. But I think even at, at two and three years old, I was able to very vividly perceive 
the amount of respect that my grandfather carried with, uh, with the people that we interacted with. You know, I hung out with him a lot and I just saw how people kind of revered him uh, as, as the person he was. And I didn't understand why that was until much later in my life. And I came to understand that he was a veteran of World War II, uh, had survived the battles of the Pacific, had come back and was really badly injured in a plane crash and fell in love with his nurse in the, in the four years he, sent, he spent in rehab. Uh, and then that's kind of like the, the greatest generation story of my grandparents. And so I think at, at two and three years old, I, I, I kind of had an unspoken goal of mine was to just follow in my grandfather's footsteps. And a major prerequisite of that was to join the service. Uh, for me, it worked out incredibly well that the Naval Academy was a place that I could swim Division One. Um, I could get one of the fifth best, fifth best engineering degrees in the country, and then I had a guaranteed job in the service afterwards. So it was like a perfect satisfaction of everything that I wanted to accomplish, and it worked out incredibly well. Tell us about your pre-injury experience in the Navy. Well, what are some highlights? What's something you remember uh, most about it? Well, I remember all, all of it was pretty amazing. Uh, you know, one of the reasons I sought out to, to join the EOD community, the explosive ordnance disposal community, was the, you know, the varied mission sets that, that you could find yourself in. You know, our job is the mitigation of explosive hazards wherever that might be, whether that's mines in the Strait of Hormuz, whether that's IEDs in Afghanistan, or if that's a backpack bomb, bomb at the Olympics. You know, I'm qualified uh, and knowledgeable and capable of taking that scene and, and mitigating that explosive hazard no matter where it's found or what the circumstances are. And I love the kind of the cerebral aspect of that and I love the ability to say or I, I love that we you know to be able to get to wherever a bomb might be we get to do all kinds of crazy stuff from free fall to um, demolitions training to cooking up our own explosives out on the range to taking electronics courses to doing alarm defeat all kinds of different fun stuff um, so I loved the training um, and moreover I, I look back on the training we received in the EOD community as kind of what really set me up for success in being able to adapt to blindness, you know, struggling with blindness is not the first time that I had to start from square one on a very difficult task and have to learn, learn it all as quickly as possible. Basically, every skill set I garnered in the military was learned in that fashion. Again, going to free fall. I mean, day one of free fall school, you know nothing about falling out of an airplane and landing safely. And four weeks later, you can do it not only proficiently, but with a rifle, oxygen and a rucksack tied to your legs, you know. So that's really just the military mindset, our military way. Um, and I, that's what I, 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 I love the best was really kind of every day is an opportunity to learn learn something completely new and challenge yourself and push yourself as far as you can go. Um, and my seven years in the Navy represented that. Uh, made two deployments during that time, one to Iraq, one to Afghanistan. Both were very different, challenging in different ways. Um, and it's something I, I look back on with a lot of fondness. I, I don't necessarily think that my military would, career would have continued regardless of whether I had been hurt or not, but it's definitely something I, I, I'm proud of and something I think that really set me up for success. It taught me to be the person that I am today, um, and I'm very thankful for that. You mentioned, you know, your blindness being just one of the things that you've had to just learn from scratch, obviously, and your injury was back uh, in September of 2011, so about five years ago. How long do you think did it take you to sort of, quote, unquote, get the hang of being blind, or, or even have you even gotten there? Is it still uh, a, a constant state of adjustment? What's that experience like? I think it's just like proficiency at any skill that you want to have. Like I've been playing guitar since I was 11 years old. And while I can play guitar, I'm still not what I would consider proficient or excellent at the guitar. You know, it's something I'm continuing to improve upon and practice and get better. And 
uh, find new ways to kind of push into learning this scale or this set of chords or whatever. Um, blindness is no different, you know. So uh, I would say getting the hang doesn't take very long at all. Getting kind of comfortable and understanding that this is the way that it is and being familiar with the tools and the tactics and the things that I need to utilize to be to 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 conduct my daily business or whatever without my vision that only takes a few weeks uh, but it takes years and years and years to become proficient at it so uh, it's one or the other kind of depends on what scale what part of the, the spectrum you're aiming for um, I think I feel I felt pretty comfortable being blind probably by the time I left blind rehab out of the VA and that was uh, about four four or five months after my injury. Um, but then I've been continually improving and, and getting better at different things here and there and becoming more and more comfortable. And now five years later, I mean, I don't really think of myself as blind. Blindness doesn't really factor into my day-to-day considerations. I get used to using my phone the way that I do. I get used to using my guide dog. I get used to my daily routine. In fact, to a point where when someone's phone isn't talking to them, I wonder what's wrong with their phone. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I feel very, I feel very acclimated, but that. That being said, what makes going into the Paralympic realm so unique and so fun is that when I interact with other blind people doing the things that they do, you know, they're better than me at perceiving the environment around me. They'll, uh, another blind person will be like, look out for that tree limb you're about to hit, that sort of thing. And I wonder how on earth did that person know that that was coming at me? And they're just, they're just better at perceiving the world. They're better at listening to the environment around them. And that's always something I'm, I'm, I'm striving to become better and better and better at. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. Going through learning how to overcome that, did you have, like, mentors in place that could sort of coach you and explain to you what you're experiencing and what you're going to have to adapt to, or was it a learning experience uh, on your own? First, it's interesting you said this thing about overcome. I don't know that I I let let go of trying to overcome blindness more it's more like embracing it more Hmm. more like understanding the condition for what it is and learning to live with it not overcome it you know i'm not going to overcome blindness my vision is not going to come back um and i think you know i don't look at as as an obstacle it's just it's just uh you know the conditions that i'm faced with and it makes it more of a peaceful transition to me if you if i if I live perpetually trying to overcome it, you know, I'll never get there. And so I got to have some level of satisfaction with where I, where I am. Um, I look at it more as a skill set. And then, uh, but in terms of mentorship, absolutely all along the way. And I, I think that regardless of where in life you are, whatever you're trying to accomplish, the, embracing the community that you're a part of and seeking out mentorship and advice and counsel and uh, perspectives other than your own is critically important because, you know, we, we cannot see the world for everything that it is from our own perspective. You know, we're, we're very biased. We're inherently biased, and that's okay. Um, but I definitely had mentors. I, uh, Captain Ivan Castro, if you haven't had him on the podcast, I'm sure you'd like to. He's an amazing guy. He took it out of his he, – he came out of his own way to come visit me in the hospital when I was down at the VA in Tampa uh, to really just just sit in my room and talk to me about what his life was like, what his experiences were. I was single at the time and single now, and the whole idea of, like, dating for me was really scary because, like, now I'm just, I'm, like, damaged goods, you know? Like, what kind of girl's going to want to date a, a guy who can't see or can't open the door for her or pull out the chair and all that sort of stuff you're supposed to do? I mean, Ivan was there to tell me, like, not only did he date, but he went through a divorce and a marriage and now had a baby girl at 
So let's talk about uh, your book. I think everybody at some point is an aspiring author. You actually made the move on being able to write a book. Tell me about what inspired you um, to put your story into words and, and share with everybody. It's funny you say that because during the process of while I was writing the book, I made, I made the mistake of telling a few people and they'd be like, oh, my God, that's great. You're writing a book. And I was like, well, everyone – everyone's writing a book at some point or another. I feel like it's like, it's a whole nother ball game to say you sold it. And that was the really hard part. I'd say, um, uh, getting a, getting a publisher to buy off on a proposal and then actually bringing it to fruition, which I'm really glad to say we managed to do over the last year. It's called fire in my eyes. It, it came out on September 6th of this year. And it's something I'm immensely proud of. Um, the reason I wanted to write it, uh, was, I, you know, I started giving these speeches like we talked about earlier. It started off as like a, a you know, a, a whole host of favors. People would email and be like, hey, would you come by and speak to our kids at our school? Or would you come and speak to the local swim team? Or the Naval Academy asked me to come to the leadership conference a long time ago. And it started off really as just me like rant, blubbering, blamber, rant, like rambling through a bunch of kind of incoherent thoughts uh, in front of some college kids who asked great questions. And it was really those questions that really kind of vectored me into what to say. And then after that happened, you know, it would, I would, people in those audiences would be like, have you ever thought about writing a book? And I thought, no, I was like, I'm not a writer. And nor did I really put a lot of stock in a lot of these experiences until I saw what it meant for other people. And I thought, you know what, if I could craft a narrative that did what we talked about earlier, take these experiences, um, tell, you know, the veteran story, the wounded vet story, of what it was like to come back from Afghanistan, work my way through the hospital, and then really try to piece my life back together. If I could tell that story and really try to represent all the people who had a piece of it along the way, I think that would be a value. Uh, and my hope for it was to be, in some ways, like a blank canvas for other people to impart their own experiences on. Uh, in some ways, it was supposed to be the beginning of dialogue. You know, some chapters deal with different things and Hopefully the stories and the anecdotes that I present in the book are ways that other people could be like, you know what, I had a similar experience and here's what I thought and here's what my th- my my things were like and like let's talk about it kind of thing. So um, I'm really proud of the narrative. It's a quick read. Uh, it, it's all told really from my perspective. It's not supposed to read like, you know, like McChrystal's book, you uh, know, uh, it's a, my share of the task. His book is very dense and it's very uh very detail oriented and it's very comprehensive uh, i took a different approach with my book where i really wanted to t- to read more like uh a novel you know more like a you know what is brad thinking about through these experiences less of a you know we didn't do any interviews i didn't really have it fact checked i mean if somebody wants to dispute some of the facts in it i probably say he's probably right i mean there's probably things in it that are wrong but the whole point of it was not to recount events it was to tell a story yeah, I think one of the more interesting parts of uh, writing a book is um, deciding what's interesting to me and what would be interesting to other people. Like, precisely, you know, like you 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 write three pages and it's like, man, that's you know this this means so much to me. And then you read it a couple more times, you read it through a couple of times, and it's like, yeah, but I don't know if it's really that interesting to anybody else. Yeah, to uh, be honest with you, like I partnered with Tom Saleo, who wrote also Brothers Forever, a great co-author, and he, he really helped me condense my vision in your in your way. I had written a, a pretty lengthy manuscript before Tom and I started working together, and I sent him over the manuscript right away, and his first move as co-author was to delete 100 pages off of that original manuscript because it was a lot of 
a lot of stories and a lot of fat that, like you just said, I was like, this story is great. And like this, you know, story about my ex-girlfriend from college was really important to the whole narrative. And he's like, not really. People don't really care about that. And I was like, all right. And when I read his edits, I was like, I didn't really miss anything. Uh, I just, I didn't know where the story was going to go when I first set out to write it. And uh, there was a lot in there that, again, was important to me, but wouldn't be important to anyone else. I think we did a great job of keeping a, a skeleton of a story out there so that Again, it leaves room for other people to see their own experiences in, in that of mine and also keeps it to stuff that's relevant and keeps you turning the page as opposed to getting being like, man, this Brad guy really loves himself, doesn't he? <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of my favorite questions to ask veterans is, um, what is a discipline, a talent, a skill set, a tool, some mindset that you got from the military that is contributing to the success you're having today? We talked, we touched on it briefly before, and it's what I call challenge mindset. You know, when you show up at EOD school, uh, you know, uh, whether it's grenades, landmines, rockets, guided missiles, uh, chem biohazards, nuke hazards, improvised explosives, you know, on, on down the line, day one, you know nothing about that particular ordnance item. By day five, you need to know everything about that ordnance item. You need to test out on it. And if you fail, you'd probably get washed out of school. Like that's the kind of mindset. Um, so you're always rapidly learning new skill sets and always challenging yourself to uh, expand your capabilities, expand your problem-solving capability. Uh, along with that challenge mindset inherently is being able to accept criticism and uh, always strive to become better. Um, I was actually just talking to about this with a buddy of mine on the phone about like, you know, when I when I either perform in the pool or if I give a speech or whatever it is, I, I don't necessarily need everyone to, to say if it was great or if they liked it or if it was inspiring or whatever. What helps me more so is to tell me how I screwed it up. Tell me how I failed. Tell me how to get it better. You know, in, in my mind, failure or shortcoming is an opportunity to get better. And that's what I spent a lot of my time thinking about, you know, and that comes with that challenge mindset. I'm always looking for something new, uh, something that's hard, something that I'm afraid of so that I can continue to challenge myself to grow and develop. And that's what allowed me to succeed originally in blindness, uh, whether it was just learning my phone, learning mobility, uh, allowed me to succeed in transferring my able-bodied swimming into blind swimming. Uh, it's allowed me to succeed, or, or at least hopefully succeed, in the speaking realm. It's allowed me to succeed as now an author, you know, uh, as a hopefully to have my own podcast one day. All these kinds of things. Like, you know, years ago, I, I, I wouldn't have known the first thing about podcasting or writing or uh, the film industry or any of the other projects that I'm involved in. Uh, but I've had to, like, really rapidly learn and accept and understand these worlds and kind of function well in them. And that is something that definitely comes from the military. We, I asked you this question at the Team USA Awards. I want to ask it to you again because not only do you have a great answer, but I know that there are so many people in the audience that will benefit from your answer to this. If someone hasn't tried adaptive sports, if they are, I don't know, like you, you know, when you were saying that, oh, I don't need this – I don't have a void to fill in my life. Um, even if they are feeling that same way, why, you know, what are reasons people should try adaptive sports? Oh, the value of sport goes, you know, goes, goes on and on. Like I said, I, I didn't necessarily see what it was filling in my life. I thought I'd, my time was better spent in other places, but I found a lot of things from sports. I found that I did actually have a, an internal void that I was unwilling to admit that I was a problem. It was a, pro a problem of, identity um uh kind of it 
going back to challenge mindset, when you're a person uh, like we are as veterans that had this kind of daily uh, daily connection to purpose, these daily tasks, this daily relevance, uh, to find yourself in a spot where you no longer have that, you need to fill that vacuum as quickly as possible. And, and sports is a way to do that. You know, I, I got to stay active because I got to keep in shape because I have these goals. Um, whatever your goals are, you need to make sure that you're working towards those things on a day-to-day basis. For me, swimming helped me do that. I'm, I want to go to the Paralympics in London, so I have to do X, Y, and Z every day. And then if I want to break that world record, not only do I have to do X, Y, and Z, but I have to do it better than anyone in the world. So I had to train with that mentality. And it forced me to be become a, 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 a better person than I possibly could have imagined. Because along the way, not only has it been physical preparation, but it's been mental preparation as well. Um, it's kind of like that day-to-day always being dedicated to something. Uh, sports fills that for me. Um, additionally, it's a community kind of thing. You know, I interact with all sorts of different people across the world, whether it's with different corporations who are involved in the USOC, if it's different athletes, different folks dealing with their own disabilities, other veterans. Uh, it forces me into a community that's very supportive and very, uh, you know, integral to my overall success. So it's the community you're exposed to. It's the community that your family becomes a part of. When we started in the Warrior Games, one of the more powerful things about the Warrior Games was not in the track, it was in the stands. You know, when my mom's talking to so-and-so's mom who had to go through that same experience of getting that phone call about their son being, or their son or daughter being really badly injured uh, and now needing to fly to Walter Reed or to Bamsey in San Antonio or to wherever else in the country that they were doing their recovery and rehab, it was cathartic for the family and friends. Uh, so there's like this, you know, community aspect that's really, really powerful. And then when you take it to the, to the Paralympic level, you know, you're a part of Team USA. And the, the ability to continue to serve in some capacity is really important to me. Uh, I know it's, seem, it's seemingly silly that my service is swimming back and forth across a pool, but it gives me the opportunity to, one, tell our stories, two, inspire the community, and three, it gives me a platform to speak from, uh, when it comes to advocating for better resources, whether that's within the VA or if that's within the service dog realm or if that's maybe not for veterans, maybe it's just for the homeless or whatever it may be. You know, I have the, a platform to speak from that I didn't have before. So, you know, in so many ways, the last five years of my life have been so enriched and so impacted by the power of sport. And I feel very strongly for it. Um now, I understand like not everyone's going to have the opportunity to do what I have done in sport. I've been really, really, really lucky. But there is some component or some uh, quotient of that success or that fulfillment that is available for anybody who wants to try. And if you're not going to try sports, I recommend you try something. and you know, Get involved and push yourself outside of your comfort zone because that's where you find where the true voids and, and, and true uh, room for growth is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Absolutely. You know, a lot of people look up to you, and um, rightfully so. And, you know, we talked about uh, sort of being thrusted into the, the public eye. But, um, I mean, is there any message that you – that every time that you speak, every time that you have a, uh, an appearance like this one on this podcast, that you want to be sure you relay to the veterans and the non-veterans in the audience that look up to you in this way? I don't know that there's a singular message. I really – it depends on – you know, who I'm talking to and, and what I think might be most valuable to them. But probably the more uh, prevailing message in my speeches is that that of perspective. You know, a lot of people, they wanted to for first, they wanted to put me in a victim box. Everyone kind of kept saying he's going to have all these dark days and we're so sorry for you. And we're so 
you're so devastated that this happened. And, you know, a lot of people look at me going blind as this really largely negative thing. But in my mind, it wasn't at all. And, and, and it had everything to do with, you know, we've all lost brothers and sisters on the battlefield. When I think of my buddy Tyler Trahan, I think it'd be incredibly selfish and misguided of me to indulge in a victim mentality because I came back and I'm still alive. Um, I got very close to death and, in fact, reconciled my own death, but I came back and I'm still alive and I still have an infinite number of opportunities in front of me to enjoy life, to become successful, to get married, to have kids, to be with my family, to be with my friends, to enjoy the Army-Navy game, to enjoy the Super Bowl, to enjoy like. You know, the list goes on and on and on and on, and it's all about perspective. So on a day-to-day basis, you know, the struggles that we find ourselves faced with are upset about the lady at Starbucks got my name wrong again, or I'm stuck in traffic, or my DVR didn't record the Kardashian show that I really like to watch. (laughs) You know, the struggles that we face on a day-to-day basis are nothing compared to what they could be. And so I think it's all, like, that's the perspective I try to put out there is that, you know, you got to understand how to make the most of every moment because there are people who literally died so that you have that opportunity. Uh, a, a, a teammate of mine, a classmate of mine, uh, Jason Fine, was killed in Mosul on Friday, uh, maybe even Thursday. Um, and it was a moment for me to kind of, you know, one, mourn the loss of a friend. But secondly, ask myself that question. Am I making the most of every moment? And I think perspective is the most thing, most important thing I can utilize to make sure that every moment is something I'm making the most of because people like Tyler and Jason have died so that I have the opportunity to continue to live here and pursue my happiness uh, and enjoy our homeland. That's an amazing way to wrap up this, uh, this interview, that sentiment there. I want to thank you for taking the time to do this. I want to thank you for uh, being patient while my uh, my – technological woes are being uh, taken care of on this side. And most of all, Brad, thank you for your service to our country. No, thank you for your service as well. Um, thank you for giving me the opportunity to share my story. And as an aspiring podcaster myself, I you know I don't envy your, the software struggles you have right now. <laughs> <laughs> Just when you, when you have your first technological uh, mishap on a podcast, you're going to be like, ah, I knew it. Tim, Tim warned me this would happen. happen. Um, where can people, where can people find your book? I, I actually just realized yesterday that it was even out. So, um, I'm sure many in the audience may be, this may be news to them as well. I'm looking forward to reading it. Where can people find it? I'm glad you asked. It's, uh, Amazon's probably the best place to get it. They have them at local retailers like your local Barnes and Noble, uh, it's sorted in the sports section, which a lot of people found uh, mis- misleading, I guess. But um, also, uh, so Amazon's your best place to get it. My brother ordered one while I was out in San Francisco with him. It showed up within 24 hours. Um, if you want information on it or if you want to follow, I'm doing my own little Facebook Lives about the book to kind of get people excited about it. Uh, on my, my my Facebook page, Brad Snyder USA, there's also a Facebook page for the book, Fire in My Eyes USA on Facebook and then uh, same kind of handles on Instagram and Twitter as well. So thanks. Follow us along. Like I said, the book to me is a, the basis for dialogue. I want to hear what people think good, bad, and different. Um, and that not only helps kind of shape my message to the community, but uh, it'll help to kind of bring the, bring a community together around a central message. So review it on Amazon, write some messages on my Facebook page, whatever you guys want to do. I want it to be kind of like a, a, a basis of dialogue. We served our country like those before us. 
You know, it was a dangerous area. All of Vietnam was dangerous. The carnage of war left an indelible mark on me. We came back and built lives. As time went on, we faced new challenges and found support to handle them. I went to the VA, talked to my doctor. I started doing groups. I started doing one-on-one -on -one counseling. At maketheconnection.net, you can hear our stories and find tools and services available to you. As Brad emphasized, adaptive sports can be a great way for a disabled veteran to find activity and camaraderie. Disabled veterans of all ages and abilities report better health, new friendships, and a better quality of life when participating in adaptive sports. To get started, take some time to review the many sports opportunities available to you by reaching out to your VA clinical team and by checking out the website va.gov slash adaptive sports. Today's veteran of the day is Marine veteran Daryl L. Franklin. On October 23, 1983, Lance Corporal Darrell L. Franklin was in Beirut, Lebanon when a suicide bomber attacked the Marines' barracks with a truck full of explosives. 220 Marines and 21 other service members were killed. Darrell was 400 yards away. After he returned home, he battled with alcoholism and post-traumatic stress disorder. With the encouragement of his mother and wife, Darrell sought out counseling with Albany Veterans Center. He is now committed to helping fellow veterans recover from their trauma to be able to live a fulfilling life. Daryl says, I want to let the guys and girls know that you can live with it and be productive. You face a lot of stuff, and it isn't easy. We thank Daryl for his service. To read the full write-up and other Veteran of the Day posts, visit blogs.va.gov. That's it for episode five. I want to thank all of you for listening. I know there are a lot of options out there for entertainment, so I appreciate you for spending your time here with me. If you have any feedback or questions you'd like to have answered on the show, please tweet them to us using hashtag VA podcast or emailing us at newmedia at va.gov. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at DEPT Vet Affairs for more stories from our community. I'm Timothy Lawson signing off. <laughs>